Minus three is presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. Must be 21 or older. Minus three with Dave Damashek. Yeah, hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus Three, presented as ever by Omaha. Make sure you're subscribed to the Extra Points YouTube channel by the end of this week. Another 15-minute NFL pregame show coming at you. In the meantime, today, college football is on our slate. We have Andy Staples, just about the best in the business, ready to chop it up with us as we head into full the, the full throws, I feel like, of conference play, plus that Notre Dame-Ohio State beauty going on up in, uh, in South Bend on Saturday. Looking forward to that. Colorado-Oregon. The rest of it, Eddie Spaghetti behind the glass or not behind the glass, out from behind it. He's in Austin, Texas to see Pearl Jam on Monday night. He watched the, the Giants pull off a big rally. We are just about wrapped up with NFL Week 2, two Monday night games. And they're intriguing stuff. I like the overlapping nature of that. I wish my team wasn't playing in one of those two games so I could just enjoy it more objectively. Um, we'll talk about all that with Eddie Spaghetti in just a little bit, except to say a great weekend on my end because uh, the misses and the little ones were off in Legoland. That meant me and Jean-Claude Van Damaschek just sat around and watched football, football and more football. And it was great. Um, but it's also great that my old man, his first uh, the first in my lifetime with the old man not being around. And I'm glad he missed the backyard brawl because he would have been disgusted. Three points. I mean, uh, six points, two field goals against the Mountaineers. Duquesne scored two touchdowns against West Virginia. Pitt scored zero. Fair, double fair. Let's move on from that meaningless event, though, and talk about college football at large with, like I say, the best in the business from on three. Here comes Andy Staples. Let me squeeze in a quick break here. You know, when the conversation turns stampers, I always go with my number one as Caesars. Let's talk about them a little bit, shall we? Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns rewards credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using this code. Listen up. Omaha full, the word Omaha and the word full. And then you place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. If you keep those winnings, but if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and over only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager. Returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start gambling problem. Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050. 
1-800-270-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or West Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Now college football season is here on minus three. Once and for all, fresh off his Gators. Big upset of the Vols. What else is new? And on a personal note, 0-8 against the spread last week. Oh, it's great stuff. He is perhaps at least in the running for the king of college football. He's all over the place. On three, he's our old pal, Andy Staples. How are you, fella? I, I, I'm good. So I, I do want to point out on the 0-8, we put out a graphic with eight of my picks from my mm. pick show last week. Mm. We made 13 picks. So... Okay. I told our our social media guru, I said, just pick the eight you feel like work the best. And so those are the 80 pick. I went 0 and 8 on those. I actually went four and one on the other ones. So I want to thank you, Penn State. I want to thank you. Thank you, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. for, for not making me look like a complete moron. But it is much funnier that the graphic showed 0 and 8 instead of 4 and 9. Because 4 and 9, people can understand. 0 and 8, like... It's really hard to go 0 and 8. Boy, oh boy, your social guru over there, really. That, that's remarkable that he could pick the ones that we're all going to lose for you. And by the way, my college football picks have stunk too. So we park our cars in the same garage there. You know, I'm sure this is one of your favorite subjects, but at what point are we going to pull off the Band-Aid on behalf of the volunteers and stop calling it a rivalry? First of all, it's in the running for the ugliest uniform matchup among uh, perennial um, foes. The, 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 the clashing oranges and all like that. like clashing shades of orange? I, I don't care for that. And I also don't care for, as a man of justice, calling that a rivalry when 25 of the last 31 have been won by one side. How say you? So it's interesting because if the SEC stays at eight conference games, it will not be an annual game anymore. It will be Mm -hmm. a twice every four years game. I don't think that's going to happen long term. I think ultimately the SEC will go to nine games because if they don't play nine conference games, they will not be having Texas and Texas A&M play every year, Mm -hmm. which seems kind of stupid. So I think eventually they'll, they'll go to that. 
the question is, will Tennessee want to be part of playing Florida every year? As you said, it's it's starting to feel like a curse. They haven't won in Gainesville since 2003. And what's interesting about this particular matchup, this one didn't feel like one of those curse games. I've seen those curse games where Tennessee came in, was clearly better, played like crap, and lost. This was a case where Florida just beat Tennessee. Like, that was a straight-up beating. And big win for Billy Napier because Gainesville was a nervous town last week. It was maybe, maybe people are out on this guy. Maybe they don't believe. But he won a game exactly the way he promised his team would play when he got it going. And so I think that gives you the glimmer of hope. Now, they'll they'll bail on him if they lose to Kentucky in two weeks. But that's just that's just the SEC for you. Well, I do want to dig in on the state of the SEC and some of the other conferences, but a couple of things that uh, we have to hit on just again, uh, you know, college football, delightful. I'm sure you heard about what happened in uh, in Boulder on Saturday night, Colorado State, the big lead, the Buffs rally. And then they they, they pull and people are belly aching on social media and beyond about storming the field. Where do you come down on this? I don't want to steer you. I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to uh, assert that you don't belong on Mount Pius if, in fact, you do take up residency there. Where are you on storming the field if you're a ranked team and you don't cover and you pull out a victory in overtime? It's going to it's supposed to be fun. It looks fun when they do that. I've been in the middle of some field stormings before. It's wild. And here's my thing about it. If you understand that you are responsible for your own self when you come over that wall. Mm. And if you have a compound fracture because you didn't realize how far it was to come over that wall and get down to the field, that's on you. Don't sue the Mm -hmm. school. Don't sue the university. Like you did that to yourself. So take take responsibility for your own actions. Understand that there's an inherent danger in it because that's what that's what all these conferences are worried about is like the SEC has fines if you storm the field. They're they're worried because it's their business. Like they don't want somebody to get killed when this happens. My thing is, you know the risks inherent. When you accept that, great, go. I, I just remember being at, at Ole Miss in 2014 when they beat Alabama and watching all the the demure, because you know they get dressed up for games. They dress, like the students dress to the nines for games. So you're watching all these women in Don't care for that. Where are you? That, that You're steeped in that tradition. It's just the frat dudes who do it, right? Or is it everybody? Uh, at Ole Miss, it's, a, it's pretty much everybody. In in most other SEC places, it's the Greek system that does okay. it. But no, I, I'm from Florida. Like we sweat in places that most people don't know if you have places. So I'm I'm a all swap. for half naked at the yeah, I'm right. all for half naked at the game. But it, it was really funny watching these Ole Miss people because they are completely like party dresses, high heels, pearls. And they are diving off this six foot wall onto the field. It's like they think because you watch and, and you watch the gears turn in their mind for about half a second. They're like, this could be real bad. All right, whatever. And <laughs> it's it's fun. Like the Colorado thing. Yeah. Should you storm the field after beating Colorado State when you were a three touchdown favorite? No, but that was very exciting and it was fun. And these people haven't gotten to enjoy much football for 20 years. Enjoy Mount Pius. I mean, you're not allowed to storm the field when you're when you're in college. We, I, I do appreciate though that the, it, it's not a lawless situation. There are some do's and don'ts for doing it. Yeah, you could break an ankle. I submit 
having been a Ford a, a, a field storming vet myself when the Hoosiers would start to, I mean, it's a cause if you're a certain level of school, a victory is a reason to storm the field. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like Alabama will never storm the field. They're too good for that. They right. feel like they're above you. that sort of thing, but Colorado. Yeah. You're, you're field stormers. I mean, Baylor, you're field stormers. Here's what I would say. One, don't get caught up in the try. If if it's your thing to try to bring the goalpost down, have a great time. Just understand that there's a fair amount of toil involved in that. And if you actually participate in the successful collapse of those, then the carrying them through town and everything, that's that's more of a commitment than I'm willing. To I, I will I will take you back to that 2014 Alabama Ole Miss game. So that was a 2.30 Central Time start. Mm -hmm. That game ends about 6 o'clock Central Time. At about midnight Central Time, I'm wandering through the Grove on Ole Miss's campus. Mm. I find these young men carrying a piece of goalpost, just wandering aimlessly through campus trying to figure out. And I ask them, what are you doing? We're trying to find a saw. We want to cut this thing up so each of us can take a piece of it home. And mm. I'm like, you're in the middle of a college campus. Are you going to take that to a Home Depot or to an Ace Hardware? Like, how are we <laughs> going to do this? Because I don't think most people keep saws in their dorm room. Yeah. But eventually, somebody with an apartment had a saw. It was delivered to them and they got it chopped up. But it was funny to watch these people in the middle of the night just wander around with this giant metal tube that was once a goalpost. <laughs> I get it. I admire the the taking of the goalpost and and uh, keeping the memory. But again, you know, you should be out on the town yeah. rejoicing. That's that's also don't talk to the opposing players. That doesn't lead to anything good as they're yeah, trying they're, to get off the field. Just leave them alone they also for, for your sake your, as well. Like right, understand exactly. that even if they just got beat and even if they are not playing on what is considered to be a good college football team, they can still beat your Whoever the Garrett Blunt rule. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, that was and Byron Hout was a Boise State player. But yeah, don't don't do it. Just right. Let it go. Put yourself in his shit. But, but now listen, you're a fun fella and deserve um, you know, all the heat you get as a media member because you're entertaining and you make it fun. But you just proved that you know your stuff too. You know the guy who Garrett Blunt punched out is pretty good that's that's a deep dive in the trivia department. Who, who can forget that that game was crazy if, if, if you if you want to take a deep dive into that game that was chip kelly's first game as oregon's head coach hmm. the offense couldn't do anything though they ended up winning the game chip kelly refunded some oregon fans tickets and travel costs to that game that person wrote in complaining about how bad the offense was and chip hmm. kelly refunded him let you know what? That's a great point to jump in here. And we do have to talk about the game that may be even more important than college football, the game of life. You had some hot takes at the end of last weekend about hamburgers, the state of hamburger and and uh, potatoes that come on the side in our uh, in our major burger yes. chains. We'll get into that in just a second. But I do want to talk about Chip Kelly's conference. I want to talk about the Pac-12 conference. And I'm going to say it and tell me if this is hyperbolic. This is the greatest year in Pac-12 history. In this conferences, in its in its big farewell, its big climax, its big farewell to college football. This is its best year. One third, 
just about of the top 25 is comprised of Pac-12 teams right now. Zeros all over the last column, up and down the conference. How say you? What are we seeing here? Uh, what are we to make of this Pac-12 right now? It's definitely the deepest year. I, you know, I don't know that they have somebody like USC under Pete Carroll where they are that dominant and that much better than everybody else in the rest of the country. But absolutely, in terms of depth, this is the best year they've had. And you think about USC, Utah, Oregon, we expect them to be good. Washington looks incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they go to Michigan State and just slice and dice them. Michael Penix Jr. throws the prettiest ball in the country. I don't know if it's something about the lefty spin, but it's beautiful. Oregon State is really good. UCLA plays Utah this week. We're going to find out how good the Bruins are. But they got, you know, Carson Steele. He was the best running back in the MAC last year. And now he's got a pet alligator. And I mean, it's it's everything you want going on in the Pac-12 right now. And it is sad because it won't exist next year. They will be, you know, these guys will get spread out. You'll have the ones going to the Big Ten. You'll have the ones going to the Big 12. And then whatever happens with Washington State and Oregon State. But it is just wild to see how deep they are. And a lot of it is, is quarterback play. And they but have you've them. seen, but wait, I, I agree. But, you know, it's it's sort of like you've seen a lot of movies in which this is kind of the plot, you know, mm -hmm. the like the natural and major league. And there are other ones where it's like the whole thing goes down unless you win it all. You oh, know, no, like no, no. it this feels is, like the Pac-12 feels this movie like is this movie is lethal weapon. This is. This is Murta, this is uh, this is Danny Glover going. It's my last day before retirement. I'm too mm. old for this. Like, I that's what this is. It, it, it is every last day before retirement buddy cop movie that ever existed. And of course, they come out on top at the end. So that that means Oregon or USC. Well, I think that's I think that's the mirage. And I really do feel like this has been a uh, a gentle role, relatively speaking, Dion in Colorado, notwithstanding. It's been and, and, and as you, you started to touch on there, the QB play has been high end. I mean, the the Heisman race is marvelous stuff because of the way some of the top QBs have been playing so far. But the mirage that is the top 25 right now, I mentioned all these teams with the unblemished records. That's all about the change as we really kick into high gear with conference play in the Pac-12 alone. Beavs and Cougs and Pullman, one of them is leaving with a loss. Chips and Bruins. In Salt Lake, the play Whittingham's Utes, one of those two teams obviously is going to get the strike in the last column. In Colorado and Oregon, the Ducks laying 20 and a half total on that one, 72 and a half. Um, no Travis Hunter. Does this mean that the Ducks should take care of business um, on Saturday? They should, but I've underestimated Colorado a couple times already, and I, I don't know that I can do that again. This is one I thought going into the season before we got to see Colorado play that, that Oregon would just wipe the field with them. Sure. No Travis Hunter makes this somewhat difficult because Oregon's got a, a few receivers that you would say, okay, that's who you're putting Travis Hunter on. And if you don't have a Travis Hunter to put on them, it, it becomes a problem. And that this is where, you know, maybe that that Colorado's D line gets exposed a little bit because mm. Oregon offensively, they they are good up front. Uh, Josh Connerly is a, a, you know, he was a five-star recruit who's kind of coming into his own as a sophomore now at offensive tackle, defensive line. They got a bunch of dudes, and Colorado hasn't seen anything like this yet. And this is where where you worried about Colorado going into the season because I, I did think they'd be okay at the skill positions. 
I've been impressed so far that they, their offensive and defensive lines have held up. The question now is when they're playing elite talent on the line of scrimmage, do they still hold up? And that that's where I, I wonder. Man, those lasers Shadour Sanders is throwing consistently mm-hmm. out there are, are, are stunning. But I think you and I park our cars in the same garage on this. Um, I say the mirage of the top 25 is as constituted, you know, all these teams, obviously Oregon state is probably not going to stick around being in the teens right now if they take the L this weekend. But if there were no preseason polls and they struggled to get past uh, Colorado state and all that, Mm -hmm. I think you and I agree that that's how the polls should work. That Colorado right now would be number one. And if they're not number one, then Texas should be number one. And Alabama should be Texas or Florida state would be number one. Okay. That's fine. But in fact, I have a segment on my show called resume rankings where we do a ranking based only on what started. And so it is, I got to tell you doing it last night was ugly. It was bad because the teams have been so inconsistent. Like I, I had Texas number one last week. I kept Texas at number one, but I didn't want to because it was 10, 10 against Wyoming and going to the fourth quarter. I kept Florida state at number two. I didn't want to because they almost lost to Boston college, but they fig- they figured it out. And so, it, yeah, I got a top 10 right now. No sec teams in it because, wow. well, think about it. Georgia hadn't played anybody till South Carolina. And they farted around for a full half against South Carolina. Like, I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure they'll be in there. I, I imagine, I, I like, I'm still picking Georgia to win the national title. But I'm doing a ranking based on what you've done so far. And if you hadn't played anybody yet, it's hard to put you anywhere. Like, I don't have Ohio State in there yet. If Ohio State goes into to South Bend and beats Notre Dame, they'll be number one next week. That's right. And uh, this is this is you could also call it the poll of justice if you wanted to, because that's what you're doing. And, you know, the people who push back like, well, the poll doesn't matter anymore. And that assumes that the people sitting in the committee deciding who goes to the final four are robots or something other than human uh, impervious to, um, you know, to to. Oh, um, I don't. I But see, I disagree with you. I don't think they're influenced by the the polls that happened before they get together i don't I think, think that, i don't think so at all if you hear a story endlessly it's you know it, it's why brainwashing then why works. did tcu make the national title game last year i because if you get a preponderance of evidence that becomes impossible to resist and that's what but, you always get so I, I i'll tell you Sheck, i did this i was an ap poll voter for five years and for most of those, I rank teams like this. I have I would have my preseason guesses, and then once the season started, I would start ranking based only on what happened. I always ended up at the same place as everybody else. Really? Yeah. It always ends up in the same place. I just feel as though that if you endlessly have a conversation around, well, we know Bama is better than what we're seeing so far, that that is going to lead you into a place to give them a little more grace then you might another well, you're going to give them grace for a little while, but if they keep lo- like if they go lose to Ole Miss this week, they're not getting grace. Well, I mean, obviously then they'll have played themselves out of, uh, you know, being relevant. If they, at this if, they, point. if they start winning again, then they deserve the grace. So I, you know, but the sec specifically in 2023 is not the, is not the best conference. We agree no. about that, right? They no, should. It's, it's not. Yeah. At the Pac-12, probably as uh, you know, as it stands right now, shapes up a little bit better. And you know, the thing that the the pull the band aid off looking really good right now too. 
I yes, yes indeed. Um, and I I feel like the idea that um, I mean I uh, you know listen obviously I acknowledge that the SEC is is uh, the king of college football. I'm not I- insane, but I do think that there's a momentum that comes along with that the SEC rules and it just means more and everything else that predisposes those committee members to you mean the fact to, that they keep winning playoff games and keep putting the most players in the draft every year that. I'm not arguing about talking about right now. That's the point. I, I right? know, That's what preseason here, polls do. They here's, the, here's the thing, though, Shaq, on gonna, last year. They're going to put the most players in the draft next year, too. So it's they still have better players. Now, how that gap looks is going to be pretty intriguing. But the SEC is not that great right now. That does mm-hmm. not mean that these teams won't evolve. And like I suspect Georgia will look better by the end of the season than they look right now. Alabama, how, we'll see. That quarterback situation is kind of hinky. Um, how many SEC teams? How many? Which conference gets more than one team into the Final Four, if any? The Big Ten would be the one I would guess if I had to pick one right now. And that would be if Penn State turns out to be really good. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's one of Penn State, Michigan, and, or two of Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, depending on how all that shakes out. Okay. Um, do you think that Nick Saban ever wins another national title at Bama? That's a tough one. He's still recruiting at a very high level. If you look at the recruiting class they signed this year, it's ranked higher than anyone he's ever signed before. Hmm. And he always signs a top three recruiting class. So I just, it's weird watching this because you, you wonder did he make a bad hire with Tommy Reese as OC? Is that the problem? Is it just that they don't have the right quarterback right now? Because it feels like they are not nearly as dominant as they have been. And, and you know, I, I go back to the Texas game. Initially, my thought was, okay, Texas is developing its players better. Texas has real dudes on both lines of scrimmage. That's why this happened. But then you watch that USF game and it's like, okay, Alabama's not blocking very well at all. And USF should not be able to do this. They should not be able to get this kind of pressure on Alabama's quarterbacks. So it does feel like there's been a step down. But I still think if you keep stockpiling talent like that, you have a chance to win national titles. And and he seems to he seems to be pretty clear that he's not going anywhere for a while. So if they hit on the right quarterback, say once in the next three, four years, they can win it again. Okay. All right. That was a generous answer from you. It does have the the Vader v. Kenobi vibe to it, though, right? Like when first we met, you know, Kirby Smart, you know, I was but the student. Now mm-hmm. I am the master. Not oh, yeah. just that, but obviously uh, Brian Kelly taking some players away from him, presumably at LSU, luring some people. So Te- Texas doing it. Right. Obviously, Cur- you know, Kirby started the trend, but Texas is doing it now. LSU could always compete with him for a little bit. Uh, Billy Napier at Florida is picking off a few, but even even like Missouri comes in and with NIL, they're able to keep some of their their really good players home so far. Do you think David Letterman would blow in a call or should blow in a call to Nick Saban and say, see, this is why I went with Tom Snyder instead of John Stewart at 1230 a.m. <laughs> to follow me? Because when you create a powerhouse behind you now, like. May, yeah. the, the Saban regret all these high end, these reclamation projects. This guy is a really 
uh, savvy offensive uh, play designer. I mean, this, this has been the reclamation hub. Right. And that's not what this is. Tommy Reese was hired from Notre Dame. Right. Well, that was a different one. But I mean, yeah. the guys who he's rolled through there have now gone on and created powerhouses yeah. across the land, thereby diminishing the tide, right? Yeah. No, I agree. And now I want to do my Tom Snyder. Oh, is that it? It's been a while since I've seen Tom Snyder. That was a long time ago. Well, it's it's been a while since any human being has seen Tom Snyder. Yeah. John, John Stewart would have been a, at 1230 would have been a, a nightmare. It would have been what Dave was for Johnny essentially like, are we sure right. about this? So yeah, no, I, I agree. But now I, I think that's part of it too with Alabama is they have not been able to go to the bench. The bench is not as deep. There's no Steve Sarkeesian sitting on the bench. There's no Mike Loxley sitting on the bench. There's no Lane Kiffin sitting on the bench there. Mm. There wasn't anybody immediately who came to mind when Bill O'Brien left. Now I thought a part of it, I think that was the timing of O'Brien's exit as well. So they, you know, in deference to Bill Belichick, we, everybody knew Bill O'Brien was going to the Patriots, but they waited till that season was over. They, they pretended that Matt Patricia wasn't, was going to be back. And it was not the typical time that you're doing that hiring. Typically you're doing that hiring in December, which would have allowed them to, to be, more active in the quarterback transfer market, maybe go after Sam Hartman or somebody like that. Instead, it was Tommy Reese going after Sam Hartman at Notre Dame, and then Tommy Reese leaves Notre Dame. But Brian Grubb, the Washington defense or offensive coordinator, is another guy they interviewed for that job. He ends up staying at Washington. He's doing fantastic right now. Where's he next year? He's he's going to be the big ticket, right? Is that is he'll that be, he'll be one of them? There, there's a few. Uh, Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator, at Colorado, is another one who who will be. And Sean was the head coach at Kent State. Kent State's a really hard place to win, but people who understand what's going on understood that Sean was a really good coach. It's just that when you have a schedule that makes you go to Georgia, to Washington, and to Oklahoma. You're going to be beat up by the time you get to Mac play, and you're just not going to look that great. But everybody in the in the business knew that Sean could coach. What he's doing with Colorado's offense this year is showing that again. So he's going to be one of those. Um, Mike Elko at Duke, I think, is the guy that that everybody's going to want because he hmm. has worked a miracle. Nine wins his first season at Duke, and then comes out and kicks the crap out of Clemson game one. It almost doesn't matter what they do from here on, but they're so solid. Like you can see them winning eight, nine games again, even against a tougher schedule this year. I don't see Neil Brown's Mountaineers winning eight or nine games this year. Nevertheless, they held. No, Pitt but Panthers. he's still employed today because he won that backyard brawl. That's listen. Neil Brown knows what he's in for. He knows he's got to win eight, nine games this year to stay. And that's probably not going to happen, but he's going, he's going to give it his damnedest. And, and that's why he's calling plays again. And they needed that backyard brawl win badly. The 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 fan base would have just said, well, the fan base is already out on him, but that would have given them license to say, look, this ain't going to happen sooner rather than later. Let's get this done. Now he's still got a chance going into Big 12 play. Hey, you know what? I got to tell you, I'm on pa Pat Narduzzi's side of this. Shame on the grownups who boo Phil Jerkovic. I really feel bad for this kid. If you don't know his story, he's a he's a Pittsburgh native. He yes, goes sir. off to no, yeah, goes off to Notre Dame, then goes to Boston College. Has a lot of injuries, some mixed success. Returns to play 
prodigal son for the Pitt Panthers to continue the little run of success by Pitt standard in the 21st century. And he's been an absolute atrocity. I really feel bad for him. And also, I'm just I'm just sick in my balls about what I'm seeing. I mean, this is just a six points in Morgantown. Gross. Fat. Shame the yeah. devil. Just horrible well, it, stuff. It, it's it's interesting because Pat Narduzzi is such a defensive guy and it made him so nervous having a high flying offense with Mark Whipple and Kenny Pickett when they won the ACC, when Jordan Addison was the Blitnikoff award winner. And I, this is, it was the strangest thing. Whipple goes to Nebraska and Narduzzi say, says on a, a radio show, well, now we can probably run the ball. And I'm like, you're making fun of the guy who just helped you win the ACC. Like you do understand the desired result is winning games, regardless of how you win them. You're supposed to win them. And so like, I get, you want to play a different style, but maybe that style doesn't work that well. And this style got you an ACC title. Uh, uh, well, the, the problem. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the kid though, trying to sling the ball downfield is, is is down is downright painful, Yins. I mean, it's really like so missing throws by 15 yeah. yards, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, all right, let's move on from that irrelevant situation. Very quickly, a couple of things for you. You you mentioned a couple of times because it's the game of the week right now, probably the game of the season in terms of what it means for um what we'll see around the holidays. Ohio State, Notre Dame, how say you in this one going down at South Bank? I am fascinated by this game because it feels like Sam Hartman is the missing piece at Notre Dame. It's what, what they've it needed. Really the does. Is it a dynamic quarterback because they've had great offensive lines. They've had good backs. They haven't had the, the best receivers in the world. They've had very good tight ends, but it felt like that unlocked everything. And the question is, have they played any defenses yet that really could challenge them? I thought, NC States would be able to, but NC State, I, I don't know that they've looked that good so far. So I can't really judge much off of that game. And then Ohio State, the, the big question for them is, can they stop giving up big plays defensively? Because that's really the only thing holding them back from winning a national title. And so we're going to get a really good answer to that question because Notre Dame's offense has been explosive and efficient so far this season. If Ohio State is not better, Notre Dame will be able to take advantage of that. If Ohio State has gotten that tightened up, then they're going to be able to keep Notre Dame in check, make Notre Dame look a little more boring, and then they'll be able to win because nobody can cover Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka. That That's the thing. They, Ohio State still has the most special player on the field, and that's Marvin Harrison Jr. And I don't know that Notre Dame has any anything that, that competes with that. So that's, that's where where Ohio State can win. Now, if they're the same defense they've been the last two years and Notre Dame hits, you know, is running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, and all of a sudden play fake, boom, over the top twice, Notre Dame can win this game. Are they wearing the green spaghetti? Any insight on that? They are. They are wearing the, the new green uniforms. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Advantage oh. Irish. How much has that paid off, though? That always, it felt like it worked out you know, probably about two thirds of the time in my youth. I can't recall the green really resulting in victories that would have been losses. Yeah, I, I, 
I don't think it's been any sort of specific, like there's no big game you can charm to that says this worked, but it also hasn't been a complete disaster. Let let us not forget the Georgia blackout game of 2008 when Alabama came to Athens and Georgia were a black and Alabama's strength coach at the time, who now works for Georgia, by the way, uh, Hmm. he, he, you know, it's Tuesday practice and he's, he's helping the the tide players get stretched out. And he goes, you know, you know why they're wearing black? Because they're going to a funeral. And that's <laughs> exactly what it was. It was a nightmare for Georgia. So I, I I think they've worn those jerseys a few more times, but they wear them in games. They're sure they're going to win. Of course, this should give you the spiritual advantage if you're in the visiting locker room and the other team has to has to concoct special uniforms to beat you. That's what I've always said about the Dallas Cowboys. They're made. They're wearing their white jerseys at home just to try to put a pox on us. Advantage us. We're in their heads before we even take the field. Um, okay, so what's your pick on that one? Notre Dame, Ohio State. And by the way, as I mentioned, some of those other games, this feels like maybe the biggest elimination Saturday we're going to have on the slate this year. There are a lot of teams that fancy themselves as kind of in the mix, and the dream ends here with a loss. I don't, I, you know, right? Ohio State I don't, I don't beats think Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. They can't go to game. the. Really? You I don't think, think if Notre Dame loses, that's it for them? They can't get No, because the- they still play USC. Ah, okay. And right. if they thump USC, even if they have a loss in this, if, as long as it's not a complete blowout, they still got a chance. This, this is a, one of the few years where Notre where and, and we'll never see it again because Notre Dame will always make the playoff if they win 10 games from now on. But in right. this last year of the 14 playoff, this is one of the few chances Notre Dame has where they don't have to go 12 and 0. There's a there, there's a window at 11 and 1 and that's if you've got a win against Ohio State, guess, right. a close loss to USC or vice versa. So that's yeah, I I still think Ohio State I, I'm leaning toward. I haven't, you know, we'll we'll have to get the picks officialized Wednesday of this week, but and we know how those go. But I I still think I lean toward Ohio State just because again, the most special player on the field plays for them. And it's one of those matchups that you've seen for several years uh, coming here. I'm sure everybody from Columbus, you know, obviously short drive, relatively speaking, over to South Bend. I'm sure that place is going to be populated with plenty of red um, to go along with it. Should be a great vibe there. Um, Does this mean, does the 12-team playoff equal that teams won't be worried about scheduling better non-conference foes? That's, That's the math, right? That's my hope. That's that's my hope. And I, I do think from talking to athletic directors, that's what they want, too, because they've seen precipitous drop offs in attendance based on the, the quality of the games. And it didn't used to be that way. People would just come because they were playing a game. But now they don't want to like, you know, if you live in the college town, that's two hours from the major city. People don't want to go get a hotel or you know, gas up the RV for that trip unless it's a game they want to go to. And I think now there's license to schedule those games and there's a competitive reason to do it because that's what my feeling is right the the tom Izzo effect like you're you're ready for march because you played tough games in december and this way you know even if your your conference schedule a little bit down you can load up in september and so your team will have seen the type of guys it will see in the playoff and they you won't feel bad if you lost one of those because you're still going to make it the shame is, and everybody talks about the who cares about the everybody loves the regional rivalries, but then everybody uh, becomes an accountant about it. Like, well, it's about math. It's about more dollars and, uh, you know, network and all that. But 
it does practically impact um, recruiting. I've got to think that that's why you need, you know, where I come from, Pitt and Penn State. And, you know, Penn State doesn't need Pitt. Well, Pitt doesn't need Penn State either, except the regional rivalry boosts both teams, both programs, and impacts recruiting. Yeah, right, of course. Let's not completely lose our soul with this, right? That's how you make good on the traditions of college football in the super conference era is in non-conference. You take advantage of those opportunities and Pitt and West Virginia and Notre Dame and Penn state should try to play each other perennially. That's that to give, to give that back to the, I I, I think it's going to kill you like it would. The ACC and SEC teams get this better than anybody else. And that's when, when all this realignment was going on and everybody's like, well, I guess these teams will never play again. I'm like, you realize that Georgia Tech used to be in the SEC and they still play Georgia every year. South Carolina used to be in the ACC. They still play Clemson every year. Florida State and Florida have never been in the same conference and they play every year. Like grownups can figure it out. It's not that hard. Right. Except that you've given them an excuse to rationalize their way out of it. And Penn State can say like, well, we don't need to play Pitt. Of course, need. We, we don't need yeah. to play you football. You don't need to How play about Akron. That? It would be nice if you played Pitt. Yeah, of course. Right. And I think by expanding it, it's like, all right, if we lose that, that that's why they're not that they're afraid people get into that. And that's loaded word. We're not afraid to play you. We we killed you the last time we played you. Not afraid. You're worried of the outcome that if you take a strike in the L column in a non-conference game, it doesn't uh, then the whole Big Ten season can now, uh, be rendered. Now, that's let, let, us, let us not forget that it was a loss to Pitt that kept the 2016 Penn State team out of the playoffs. And much like they did to the West Virginia Mountaineers, uh, thirteen Correct. to nine. Okay, now <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, the last thing I want to kibitz with you about is uh, burgers. You travel the land, and I don't want to get cute. Here's the thing that happens with burger debates: is that people like there's a joint though that you don't know about that's a little hole, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking yeah, we're talking about, about macro fast food, right? Right. Now within that. There is there's some regional favorites, you know, you and I got hit up. We were uh, I, I responded to something you said on social media and uh, uh, a guy named Corey jumped in to say that. Uh, what about uh, Steak and Shake? Coach mm-hmm. Knight's favorite yep. um, when, you know, when he was uh, heading out for burgers after ball games. That's a dandy place. Now, what's your thoughts? Also on- terrible fries, which is what we're going to get to. No, no, no. Don't say that about Steak and Shake. They have good. I will say that about Steak and Shake. Dave, I I spent a lot of time at Steak and Shake in my youth. Steak and Shake is in Florida as well. Yeah, we had a Steak and Shake two miles from my high school. And what's your Uh, beef? two Steak and Shakes in Gainesville in college. What's your beef? What's what's the problem with it? They're terrible. They're just little tiny things. They need to be bigger, thicker. Got to eat them. Listen, got to eat them when they come come out. Don't let them sit there for 20 minutes. But even when they come out... they could just be better. And this is, we're getting to what I said about In-N-Out Burger because, uh, so our friend Ross Tucker, who uh, he, he calls football games and played in the NFL. He knows his way around a plate of food. He likes to hear some good opinions. He he sends a photo from In-N-Out Burger and says, what am I getting? And so I quote tweeted that and I said, an Uber to a place with passable fries. And here's my thing on mean In-N-Out. spirited, Bur- but okay. Yeah. Burgers are fantastic at In-N-Out. They're great. It's maybe the best fast food. And Remember, fast food burger is different than, say, like a Five Guys. Five Guys, you're taking out a mortgage to get a burger and fries. Different Well, that's the, but, but see, that's where it suffers. Let me interrupt you. I have to say this. Yep. 
You're not when when you people in and out is so good. It's a victim of its own success because people don't compare in and out, which it deserves to be compared to McDonald's and Burger, and Burger King, King and Wendy's. Wendy's. Exactly. Yes. Right. But instead, because it's so good, improbably, you understand it's the big underdog. It costs what it cost in 1978 or uh, maybe not exactly, but it, it's a very affordable burger versus uh, versus um, uh, five guys, steak and shake, all very, shake shack. Yeah, right? all very different price categories. But it's competitive, improbably. Yeah. It's very much well, like but Shaq, Chip my Peterson's, problem is not with the burger. Like, but it's like chip. But but I just want to say it's yeah. much. Boise State isn't as deep as the as the powerhouse teams in the Power Five conferences. Yeah. Of course, they're trying trying to cobble something together to be relevant. Okay, no, so but every here, item isn't great. Here's the thing: their fries are aggressively terrible. It's they like they're weird. mocking us with their fries because you could have the best fast food restaurant in America by serving average fries. It's sort of like mm-hmm. Iowa. It's sort of like the Iowa football team. You have the best defense and the best special teams, but you have an aggressively awful offense. All you need is an average offense. And suddenly you are an elite program. It's like the Jets, you know, if they could just get a quarterback. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I get what How'd you're saying. Go? So you're so you're suggesting that this is some sort of conspiracy. Maybe it highlights the greatness of the burger. I floated this idea. About a number, your wheelhouse, as much as anybody in this land, is barbecue and the yeah. different regional uh, flavors you can have in that regard. I find that for me, when I'm making a decision, it's like sort of like lyrics in music. I'm more mm-hmm. of what the music sounds like and lyrics come second. Side right. dishes with food, though, matter greatly if you're trying to weigh which one is but which place but not, is better. Not, it's funny because when it's barbecue, it... it they don't like there. It's nice if you have good side dishes, but I only care if you have good meat. Not for me. I like fries because I think fries really make the barbecue experience sing when you can go away from the meat for a second and go with a potato and dip it into the same sauce. That really completes the experience for me. Wait, wait, and when wait, the only thing you're giving me greens. is baked beans, I don't. I okay. I collard greens fine with me. Baked beans, fine with me, but I like a nice fry with my barbecue. And I know that that is maybe not traditional, but it's what I want. But okay, let's not get distracted with that. You're, you've you you've touched on something interesting here, and, and, and I can't say I disagree. What is going on with In-N-Out's fries? Well, it's is, not that is, they're not good. It's that you're, you, make a, you make a compelling case here yeah. that they're trying to make lousy fries. Right, because McDonald's fries are better. Wendy's fries are better. Burger King's fries are better. Chick-fil-A's fries are much better. Like, all you have to do is do something like one of them. Shape it like one of them. Cook it like one of them. And I realize that in and out they feel like their ingredients are more pure than all of these places. But you can still make a decent fry. That's like, This is weird because you know what? I, I think Chicago, one of the great food cities uh, on the planet Earth, doesn't make a good or doesn't have very many, given the size of its population, very many good traditional pizza places. Now, I, I, I get it. Like You're not talking about the deep dish. You're talking about. I'm not talking about Chicago yeah. pie. I'm not talking. I'm talking yeah. about regular old pizza pie. You know what? Right. What, what we uh, would say. Same thing. New Orleans doesn't have good. Salads. What is it? Terrible salads in New Orleans. Yeah. Well, they, they see, that's the best example. 
yes, New Orleans. I People always make the joke like, oh, if I lived here for a few months, I'd gain 80 pounds. That is, in fact, true in New Orleans for me because they don't they don't pretend they're not doing the thing of like, yeah, we also have a nice little salad with some grilled chicken. They don't they don't try because they thumb their nose at you and they say, we're not going to we're not going to do that uh, jive for you. Um, I think that's what In-N-Out is trying to tell us. Only eat the burgers, but the fries are ancillary. They have nothing to do with this competition. And, and maybe that's what I'll do. Burger. The next time I go to In-N-Out, I will just get like three burgers. But I love, it's weird because I am anti-side, well, not anti-side when it comes to barbecue, but if you just gave me all meat on a tray, I will take that over a, a balanced one. But when I go out for burgers, I want fries. In fact, sometimes I'll get two orders of fries. And so- that's the part that it just it hurts my heart because the burger is really good. And it's like mm-hmm. all you got to do is have a, a just basically imitation McDonald's fry, something close to that in surface area to volume ratio. And you're good. Yeah. And they just don't want to do it. It's 2017 Jaguars equal in and out. Right. Like if only yeah. it weren't Blake Bortles, if only you well, could have had and, league and average. I, right. I'll give an example. I did a story a few years ago on how college coaches treat NFL scouts and all the NFL scouts said Nick Saban, Alabama, best place in the world to go scout because it, it could be four in the morning. They will open up the, the facility for you. They'll put on all the film you want. They'll make you coffee. They'll bring you food. Meanwhile, you go to some of these other places and they make you stand in like a baseball dugout, like 200 yards from the field, and you can't see anything because they're worried you're going to steal their plays and call your alma mater about it. And I'm like, this is the simplest thing in the world, because if you treat scouts right and they like your players, your players get drafted higher and that's good for recruiting. It's the greatest kind of makes its own gravy of all time. And it's like you see what Nick Saban does. You see how much better he is at this than you. Just do what he does. Yeah. Like if you're in and out, True. like send a mole to Chick-fil-A and find out how do you source your fries? How do you cook your fries? What do you do? Like just copy them. Now you lose me. The Chick-fil-A phenomenon. That waffle fry is amazing. It's good. It's not Let's not get crazy with it. I'm also right out of the gate. I didn't like your opinions, your opening remarks about steak and shake. I think we're just different people at the end of the day. Do you you like crinkle fries? Are you a crinkle cut fry person? They're fine. I I, I, I do like a shoestring. See, I don't like a shoestring. I I like a thick steak fry, ideally. Steak steak fry is hard. I mean, you really need a a master work in uh, the fryer. To get that right, there's too you much also variation. Need a steak with the juice that you can dip it in. I'd rather eat a burnt fry than an undercooked fry. And Correct. steak fries give you, you know, you're always going to get almost always at least one to six ones that are a little stiff, and then the entire experience is is not as good as it might have been. The one that I always go to is with with, with where fries. The fascinating thing to me is Arby's. With the with the with the curly fry, yep. They're the only people who have figured out that you're not required to put the spice on the fry. Oh, I, like who decided 25 years ago that if you're gonna put some spice on a fry, it's got to be a circle fry. And if it's a circle fry, then it requires that it takes the spice. Almost everybody abides by that weird law. No, that I, I don't I will think say- it's written down anywhere. 
I think the best fast food fry, the best you know, drive-through type restaurant, lowest price point, checkers slash rallies, depending on what hmm. part of the country and one's called okay. checkers, one's called rallies, but the same place. Those fries are amazing. Now they are seasoned though. And oh, it, are it's they? a different experience. It is, but they they are they are the long vertical fry, but they're a little bit thicker and they're seasoned. And oh, it, it is it is delightful. Like I if you if you could get an in and out burger with checkers fries, it is fast food nirvana. It's interesting that uh, you fly. I also like the uh I don't know the backstory that probably you do as a historian of these things is uh, like Carl's Jr. slash Hardee's. They mm-hmm. also have very strong French fries. McDonald's is still the king. You know, I think we, we as things evolve and everything always our football conferences and everything else change and everything gets left in the rearview mirror. McDonald's remains king of the fast food fry. And I and I hail it for that. In my opinion, at least it remains number one. Hardy's Carl's Jr. probably would get my number two. I don't know why they don't just blend. Why don't they become Carl Hardy? Why, I, I, I've never figured that out either because I, you know, I grew up in the South, so it was Hardy's, and I'd never heard of a Carl's Jr. until I got a job that required me to go to the West Coast. And But but I find it interesting that they just brought the Hardy's biscuits to the Carl's Juniors a few years ago. Like, in the South, you do, you didn't go to Hardy's for burgers. Like, you went to Hardy's in the morning and you got biscuits. Like, Hardy's steak biscuits were my favorite thing to eat it, mm-hmm. for breakfast as a kid. And they still make the best fast food biscuit of anybody. They're, I will say they are doing remarkable work collectively in the breakfast department. The only thing that's sad is, I don't know if it's a national thing, McDonald's right before COVID, breakfast all day. Since yeah. COVID, back to the old thing. Can't get the yeah. can't get I would the never, egg like, muffin anymore. I don't understand that. I don't understand why Hardy's doesn't Hardy slash Carl Jr. doesn't do breakfast all day because there, there's a competitor in the South called Bojangles that started sure. in Carolina. Sure, I've had Bojangles many yeah. times in Tennessee, they do, East they Tennessee do, staple. I eat it all the time when I'm there. Absolutely. So they do breakfast all day. You can get that chicken, that Cajun filet biscuit anytime, day or night. That's what you're good at. I. I, I and, and we can talk about this in any walk of life, whether it's restaurants, football, acting, like do the thing you're good at and do it all the time. But isn't that what in and out thinks they're doing? They think they they're 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 I bet you they're looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, why fix what ain't broke? And staples but it is, is broken. saying it and I'm be- you could it's be broken the best. is what they're saying. Right. I, I yeah. hear what you're saying. There's room to grow still. Like, listen, yeah. the Yankees is a great brand, but all those titles are in the rearview mirror. What are we going to do to get our next one? That's what In-N-Out needs yeah, to start no, asking the, itself. The, the, the not doing what you're good at would be if In-N-Out said, we're only going to serve those burgers till 1030 every morning, and then we're going to serve something completely different afterward. Like that, that's where, where Hardee's loses me. Like okay. serve those biscuits all day. It's so much better than what you make for lunch and dinner. Man, this guy. I'm also, I'm also a big breakfast for lunch and breakfast for dinner person. I could eat breakfast for every meal. That's what, you know what? At the Damashek home, we uh, that's what we do on Christmas Eve. It's our tradition is uh, breakfast Brilliant. for dinner. Yeah, we do. I, listen, I, love a, I love a nice breakfast for dinner. There's a, it, it's, we, it, we, do it, it every, we do it every few weeks in the Staples house because really? I've got a 14-year-old son who will eat mm, – roughly 20 pancakes if you put 20 pancakes in front of him so it's it, it's a way to get him going because you know he can be a little picky sometimes 
but you go, oh, we're having breakfast for dinner, and you know he's just going to pound a stack of pancakes. But ultimately, yeah, that's that's a function of being able to generate volume, the mm-hmm. pancake. But as a man of taste, the waffle is better than the pancake because it it's got a syrup cup. Depends on my it depends on my mood. It's like I don't have a definitive answer to the pie cake debate, nor do I have a definitive answer to the waffle pancake debate because I. I, I some days I want the pancake and some days I want the waffle. You know what? I love making lists. I love ranking things. I love debating things. But there are certain categories where I'm with you on that. I just I, I like to say I'm glad both exist. I'm glad to live in a world where I have those two options available to me. You've said it all, Andy Staples. It's clear why you have been elected king of college football and are in the running now for game of life. You know what? I'd like to serve in the in the same office with you. I'll tell you that much because I like where your head's at. Make sure you're checking out all of uh, Andy Staples' great work. On three is where you track him down on YouTube, doing really entertaining and insightful work. You just heard some of it here. We appreciate the time. Continued success to the Gators, fella. Well, I can't wait. And we're going to have to have you on my show. I, I may need to have you do some preliminary fruit of the year work. Uh, they're doing some amazing things with cantaloupe lately, and it's it's shot up my rankings recently. Consider the appetite wet for that conversation. Uh, looking forward to it. And now a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. There he goes, Eddie Spaghetti. Your thoughts? Ooh, that's going to be a good time up in South Bend, eh? Yeah, I mean, number one, Andy is uh, my favorite college uh, person to follow and read and, and you know, listen to everything he does. He's oh, the best. I so wish you would have called him your favorite guest just so uh, that we would have something to tell no, every I, other guest. I can't give that away until we do our, our annual votes for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, he's everything he said about Notre Dame, Ohio State's pretty spot on. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the best player on the field. Um, but luckily, Notre Dame having, you know, true sophomore Benjamin Morrison playing cornerback, they do have a guy that could go kind of head-to-head with him. Like, let's not forget, your Hoosiers pretty much shut out. I know that is probably due to bad quarterback play from Ohio State, but Harrison didn't have a huge game in week one of the college football season. And like uh, Andy said, you know, the years of Notre Dame having great offensive lines, always good tight ends, solid defense, good running game, but never had that difference maker quarterback. So while they come into this game looking to kind of, you know, hold the football, run it with estimate, kind of chew up the clock, the difference now is they have Sam Hartman and having him is just like, I can't even emphasize how much of a difference maker he is not watching a Drew Pine or a Buckner or even an Ian book or Jack Cohn, having this guy who's so cool, calm, collected, so experienced going through his progressions, making the smart play. It's just like a giant exhale. And then plus all the other stuff is still going well for Notre Dame. So I feel good about this game. They're home dogs. My lean right now is to to take that. I I feel pretty good about it in a weaker year for Ohio State, maybe. So um it's I don't be love awesome the defense, game. like Andy said, and I said that before the year, and I also um said double digit wins for the Irish this year because of Sam Hartman largely uh making a difference. And this is his chance. You know, people are putting up crazy numbers, QB's putting up crazy numbers. 
across the land. But if Sam Hartman knocks off the Buckeyes, he announces himself as a legit Heisman candidate, along with making the Irish really relevant in that final four. With that win alone, like we were just talking about, they would really, even in a defeat to USC, as long as they don't get whipped, you know, would really have, you would think, the inside track to one of those four slots there. Because by beating Ohio State or USC, either way, you basically take that head-to-head and jump past that team. And those two teams are probably going to be on the short list of teams in contention for that. Um, All right. A a pretty good week, too, at the NFL. We'll do a deeper dive on that when we get Hench on later in the week here. Um, You know, I I thought that... uh, you know, I felt I continue to feel validated by my Tua and Dolphins pick there. That's one's looking real good. Um, that team, if they, you know, it, it it is remarkable that the discussion continues to be in a world in which Aaron Rodgers played four plays and you see Anthony Richardson get dinged that the conversation, you know, in, in the middle of a, a of a nice start against uh, the Texans, that the conversation continues to obsessively talk about Tua and how he's injury prone. It's getting a little out of bounds as far as I'm concerned. Um, And and let's keep in mind, they don't have Jalen Ramsey and they don't have their best offensive lineman in Taron Armstead. Imagine when they get those guys back, that team's Mm going to be even better. So uh, impressive stuff there. But I think the story right now is America's team, that Cowboys defense looking like the best in the biz in a, in a heavy defense league. Listen, I said, well, let's not talk about NFL. We'll do that later in the week. Um, great thanks to Andy Staples uh, for joining us today. Gangbusters appearance there. Like I say, what else, Spaghetti? Subscribe uh, on YouTube to our Extra Points channel. We're trying to get more and more stuff over there. In fact, should we put the entire Andy Staples conversation up there? Uh, yeah, we could definitely uh, do that. Uh, definitely subscribe to Extra Points uh, YouTube page. We're going to do more stuff there. And then look out for the pregame show. We'll be tweeting the full episode uh, from the Minus Three Twitter account every week. And then obviously just follow Extra Points on Twitter as well. All of our great shows and uh, breakout videos will all be up there. So we're at really good stuff uh, in the new iteration of this network. Yeah, Trendy with uh, with Toby Mergler coming mm-hmm. up three times this week. Waiver Wired with you and Jen Piacenti. Uh, coming at you on Tuesday, um, covered in glory, lemon pepper parlay with Marty Weiss and Mark Gunnels feeling a little bit better after his chiefs took care of business in Duval County. Much to check out. Oh, and extra points, of course, with uh, Sarah Tiana coming at coming up on Wednesday. And Spaghetti, you're off there to see Pearl Jam, right? Or you, what, what uh, song you hope they're going to play tonight? Um, I have a lot of songs I have not seen yet. Not a lot. I have a few. Um, there'll be shows number 24 and 25 for me. So there's a couple oh. deep cuts. Hard to imagine. Sad. That'd be pretty cool. Rival. If I see those three, I'd be pretty thrilled. I'm just happy to see them. This is so unexpected. Luckily, my fiance somehow got free tickets through work and she's always wanted to visit Austin. She's heard the great stories about me and you coming down here for South by Southwest. And I have to say, obviously, college football Saturdays in a in a uh, an area where you have a powerhouse college football team is just unlike That's right. It's uh, unbelievable. I mean, Sixth Street, Rainy Street, unbelievable stuff. And then yesterday, most of the day, walking around feeling blue about my Giants, no pun intended, uh, and seeing all these other fans at their bars cheering. And I'm like, we're losing to what could be considered the worst team in NFL history. And Daniel Jones put the team on his back and came back to victory. Uh, I'm not saying the Giants season is going to be turned around now, but it feels a lot better to be one and one, which is what I expected uh, than losing to the worst team in NFL history. So thank God for uh, for Danny Dimes. 
Ooh, well, how about them commies? Somebody told you nobody else was picking them to make the playoffs. Two and zero now. Dave told you about that one. Have a good time with uh, with Eddie and your pals down there, Spaghetti, and uh, we'll talk to you, football fans, a little later in the week. Until then, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs>